This audio production was made in collaboration with Audible Anarchist. Neither Lord nor Subject by Bao Zhenyan, translated by Atin Balaz. The Confucian Lutherati say, Heaven gave birth to the people and then set rulers over them. But how can High Heaven have said this in so many words? Is it not rather that interested parties make this their pretext? The fact is that the strong oppress the weak and the weak submit to them. The cunning trick the innocent and the innocent serve them. It was because there was submission that the relation of lord and subject arose, and because there was servitude that the people, being powerless, could be kept under control. Thus, servitude and mastery result from the struggle between the strong and the weak, and the contrast between the cunning and the innocent, and blue heaven has nothing whatsoever to do with it. When the world was in its original, undifferentiated state, the nameless, Wu Ming, the Tao, was what was valued, and all creatures found happiness in self-fulfillment. Now, when the cinnamon tree has its bark stripped, or the varnish tree is cut, it is not done at the wish of the tree. When the pheasant's feathers are plucked, or the kingfisher's torn out, it is not done by desire of the bird. To be bitten and bridled is not in accordance with the nature of the horse. To be put under the yoke and bear burdens does not give pleasure to the ox. Cunning has its origins in the use of force that goes against the true nature of things. And the real reason for harming creatures is to provide useless adornments. Thus, catching the bird of the air in order to supply frivolous adornments, making holes in noses where no holes should be, Tying beasts by the leg when nature meant them to be free is not in accord with the destiny of the myriad creatures, all born to live their lives unharmed. And so the people are compelled to labor so that those in office may be nourished. While their superiors enjoy fat salaries, they are reduced to the direst poverty. It is all very well to enjoy the infinite bliss of life after death, but it is preferable not to have died in the first place and rather than acquire an empty reputation for integrity by resigning office and forgoing one's salary, it is better that there should be no office to resign. Loyalty and righteousness only appear when rebellion breaks out in the empire. Familial obedience and parental love are only displayed when there is discord among kindred. In the earliest times, there was neither lord nor subject. Wells were dug for drinking water, the fields were plowed for food. Work began at sunrise and ceased at sunset. Everyone was free and at ease, neither competing with each other nor scheming against each other, and no one was either glorified or humiliated. The wastelands had no paths or roads, and the waterways no boats or bridges, and because there was no means of communication by land or water, people did not appropriate each other's property, no armies could be formed and so people did not attack one another. Indeed, since no one climbed up to seek out nests, or dived down to sift the waters of the deep, the phoenix nested under the eaves of the house, and the dragon distorted the garden pool. The raving tiger could be trod upon, the poisonous snake handled, men could wade through swamps without raising the waterfowl, and enter the woodlands without startling the fox or the hare. Since no one even began to think of gaining power or seeking profit, no dire events or rebellions occurred, 
and as spears and shields were not in use, moats and ramparts did not have to be built. All creatures lived together in mystic unity, all of them merged in the way. Since they were not visited by plague or pestilence, they could live out their lives and die a natural death. Their hearts being pure, they were devoid of cunning. Enjoying plentiful supplies of food, they strolled about with full bellies. Their speech was not flowery, their behavior not ostentatious. How, then, could there have been an accumulation of property such as to rob the people of their wealth, or severe punishments to trap and ensnare them? When this age entered on decadence, knowledge and cunning came into use. The way and its virtue, having fallen into decay, a hierarchy was established. Customary regulations for promotion and degradation, and for profit and loss proliferated. Ceremonial garments, such as the gentry's sash and sacrificial cap, in the imperial blue and yellow, ropes for worshipping heaven and earth, were elaborated. Buildings of earth and wood were raised high into the sky, with the beams and rafters painted red and green. The heights were overturned in quest of gems, the depths dived into in search of pearls, but however vast the collection of precious stones people might have assembled, it still would not have sufficed to satisfy their whims, and the whole mountain of gold would not have been enough to meet their expenditure, so sunk were they in depravity and vice, having transgressed against the fundamental principle of the great beginning. Daily they became further removed from the ways of their ancestors, and turn their backs more and more upon man's original simplicity. Because they promoted the worthy to office, ordinary people strove for reputation, and because they prized material wealth, thieves and robbers appeared. The sight of desirable objects tempted true and honest hearts, and the display of arbitrary power and love of gain opened the road to robbery. So they made weapons, with points and with sharp edges, and after that there was no end to usurpations and acts of aggression, and they were only afraid lest crossbows should not be strong enough, shields stout enough, lances sharp enough, and defenses solid enough. And yet, all of this could have been dispensed with if there had been no oppression and violence from the start. Therefore it has been said, who could make scepters without spoiling the unblemished jade? And how could altruism and righteousness be extolled unless the way and its virtues had perished? Although tyrants such as Che and Cho were able to burn men to death, massacre their advisers, make mincemeat of the feudal lords, cut the barons into strips, tear out men's hearts and break their bones, and go to the furthest extremes of tyrannical crime down to the use of torture by roasting and grilling, However cruel they may by nature have been, how could they have done such things if they had had to remain among the ranks of the common people? If they gave way to their cruelty and lust and butchered the whole empire, it was because as rulers they could do as they pleased. As soon as the relationship between lord and subject is established, hearts become daily more filled with evil designs until the manacled criminals sullenly doing forced labor in the mud and the dust are full of mutinous thoughts. The sovereign trembles with anxious fear in his ancestral temple, and the people simmer with revolt in the midst of their poverty and distress. And to try to stop them revolting, 
by means of rules and regulations, or control them by means of penalties and punishments, is like trying to dam a river in full flood with a handfuls of earth, or keeping the torrents of water back with one finger. This has been a production of Audible Anarchist. You can find more Audible Anarchist on YouTube.